Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Uh, Time for another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. And uh, I'm going to be joined today by uh, three of our four usual principals. Tom will be with us, Nina will be with us, and Carol will be with us. None of them are with us yet. So we'll bring them on as they join in. Um, And I think we have Carol now. Carol, is this you? Yes, it is. Calling from, well, I'd love to say my pajamas, but it's not quite, but we have uh, a holiday today. Yes, in British Columbia, as, as well as in many places, today is an Easter holiday. Yes. Are you off the whole week or just today? No, just today. We had our spring break a couple of weeks ago, so it's just a nice four-day weekend thrown in for good measure. Very nice. We are waiting for Tom and Nina to join us. Your friend Susan will not be joining us today. She doesn't want to do the program in her pajamas, apparently. (laughs) Um, But we have, uh, well, first of all, as we always do on this program, Anything on your mind today as the school year winds down here? Of course, early early April probably isn't a good time to call it winding down, but you are in the home stretch. Um, anything on your mind today? We have three emails that people would like us to respond to, um, so we'll get to those at some point. But uh, any thoughts before we get to those? Uh, I don't have anything pressing myself at the moment. Things have been, since we came back from our spring break, uh, found we've been in a bit of a honeymoon, so things seem to be going along well. And, um, yeah, it's in a good place. Excellent. Then before, let's get started on the email. Um, Sure. we've, We've got some interesting ones here. And here is one of them. Um, It says, hi, Dr. Green. This is somebody who is a student um, studying special education. I'm not going to read all the details. But she says, and for one of my classes, I had the opportunity to contract it for honors credit and to delve deeper into collaborative and proactive solutions. She says, as I've been studying this model It appears to me very straightforward and very beneficial to incorporate into the classroom. My question comes in as to why don't more schools incorporate it? Is it that schools schools don't know about CPS or that they don't know how to implement it? Or are schools too nervous to create a new behavior system? After reading both of your books, it appears to me that the benefits of CPS greatly outweigh the negatives of the possibility of being time-consuming and changing our thought process. I figured that would be a good one for our panel to discuss. And since you are our only panel member at the moment, uh, although I'm sure that Tom, well, I'm not sure ever, but um, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I'm going to say I'm going to go D, all of the above, <laughs> <laughs> because really, contextually, each you know each school has uh, whether it's culturally, traditionally, um, philosophically reasons for working with kids with challenging behavior in the way that it does, and so um, you know. I think a lot for a lot of uh schools haven't heard of the model. I mean, I I think, you know, we are doing a pretty concerted effort to to raise awareness and spread the word and um, you know, point uh colleagues and families and um and our administrators into that direction. Um but it, you know, it's even though when did you publish Lost at Schools, Ross? Lost at School was 2008. Right, and The Explosive Child was before that. So, you know, in the intervening six or seven years, um, you know, it's it takes time sometimes for people to, to hear about a new way of doing things. Um, so that's some, some schools. Uh, and then there's schools where, you know, there may be uh, a teacher or administrator or a parent who's familiar with the the model, um, but it takes time to, to change uh, people's mindsets uh, depending on kind of the, the space that they're in in their head. Like when some people find out about the model, um, it it clicks right away because their their heart's aligned with it, but their head has never been exposed to that idea. So once they, they read, maybe this is similar to, to this uh, experience of that the letter writer, is that once they read about it, it's suddenly everything just kind of all clicks into place and it's pretty simple to to move forward because the mindset was already there but we didn't have a framework to implement it. But there are a lot of people who that mindset isn't there. They whether it's because of tradition, their own experience, uh or whatever, they are in one um belief system that, you know, the reward and punishment model uh is going to be effective. You just gotta keep doing it harder and bigger to make it work. Um, and so hearing about a different model doesn't click with them. They they need to see it. They need to experience it um, before they're going to be able to make a change. So that can be uh, part of the part of the issue there. So, yeah, it seems like there's uh, sometimes it's they don't know about it. Other times they know about it, but uh, it takes a long time to change that mindset. Um, and in some places, the you know just the fear of change, I think, can be can be pretty big. It's um, I actually was uh, thinking about the quote, uh, and I have a blog, and I was blogging about it the other day. The quote that um, it's easier to move a cemetery than to affect change in schools, <laughs> and the idea being that uh, you never know how many friends the dead have until you try to move them. And so sometimes even though practices or, or policies may be unpopular, um, if you try to change them, people will stick to them and grab onto them and defend them, even though at the same time they may be cursing them and, and frustrated by them and feeling like they're not effective. So there's a huge uh, uh, whole system around changing the culture or the beliefs of a of a system. So that's why I think our advice always to people who are – starting on with the model is start small, start with one person, start with one student, start with one problem, and try to go from there. We have been joined <laughs> by Nina. Hi, Nina. Hi, Nina. Hi, how are you? Hi. Sorry, I'm late. And, and Tom, no worries. Tom, how hey, Tom. are you? I'm good. How are you, Ross? 
everyone. Nice doing. Talk to you all. Nice. Doing well. Thank you. Um, we started off with an email from a student in special education, um, and Carol was responding to uh, her question. I'm going to read it for both of you because I'm betting you both would like to respond as well. Um, she says, and I'll repeat it, um, she had the opportunity to delve deeper into collaborative and proactive solutions. Uh, she says, as I have been studying this model, it appears to me to be very straightforward and very beneficial to incorporate into the classroom. My question comes in as to why don't more schools incorporate it? Is it that schools don't know about CPS or they don't know how to implement it? Or are schools too nervous to create a new behavior system? After reading both of your books, here she's talking to me, it appears that the benefits of CPS greatly outweigh the negatives of the possibility of being time-consuming and changing our thought process. So Carol just weighed in on that, but I'm betting you both would like to as well. Um, Nina, should we start with you? Sure. Um, I think it's probably a combination of things of maybe not knowing, but also I heard a little bit about the answer before, but a little bit of old systems, and it really is, it takes a lot to create change, and I think it does make people nervous when it's something that they don't feel completely comfortable or knowledgeable in, so it takes that time to really understand it and um, change change your mindset and change the way you approach children or see see children with with challenging behaviors. Uh, I also think sometimes outside influences don't always match the model. So you, even if a school really is geared up and ready, sometimes you get out, especially with the kids that are the most challenging, you get outside influences about trying different techniques that are really the polar opposite. So I think sometimes that can be a real challenge as you're implementing CPS or reading about it or or know that that's the right way to go. At least that's what, maybe that's just what I've been up against lately and feel that that's something that can be definitely a, a block. You're talking about school system pressure or societal pressure? Um, I think I'm talking about both. Uh, you know, you might, just there's a lot of common practice with the reward and punishment model and um, checklists and rewards and every two minutes to do this. And I, so I think you have to really be able to be grounded in your knowledge what's the right way to approach children. So it takes that, you have to have that confidence in order to talk about CPS with a lot of different agencies. So I think that's just something that's been on my mind, you know, a lot because um, you can get mm. some, you get a lot of advice. And even, it's just funny, I was just, a lot been finding myself saying that checklists really work for kids when they're having a good day. <laughs> but then, you know, then when they're not having a good day, the checklists mean mean nothing. So it just it solidifies my, my belief more and more, but you still have to come across that and feel figure out how to how to deal with that, that roadblock. Tom, any thoughts? Well, I think that, that part of it is just that awareness is the beginning of change. Mm-hmm. And um, I love the analogy of the uh, the graveyard. It's almost perfect. 
Um, and I think that, that awareness is the beginning of change. And then I've always said that the best way to get change to happen is to have a few people doing something really well and getting results with it because the word spreads organically throughout the organization quite quickly when things are moving forward. And then that keeps interest. And when, when interest comes from within, you're dealing with uh, um, intrinsic motivation instead of external expectations or pressure. So, build, you know, it's kind of like the old analogy of like the uh, the master fire maker, you know, like a, a, a person who can make fire from, from a few sticks and stones and things and leaves and that there's a technique to doing that. If you can get the fire stoked and started, then, then other people will, will, will come on board. But I do think there's also just a, a um, with a bunch of different really good school initiatives, schools are at capacity every minute of every day. Schools are, are um, more and more as we move into this time of standardized testing for the sake of showing that teachers are effective, which is um, a very contradictory uh, concept. We, uh, um, we expect a lot of people, and I think that they're just at capacity, so they have to see the value in working um, with behaviorally challenging children that if you spend time up front proactively, you spend way less time reactively. And I think, so I think it's a, a really a threefold thing. The first one is they don't know about this work, um, the, the specific work of, of um, collaborative and proactive solutions. They don't know about um, how it will help their efficiency in the end. And then they also um, are at capacity, so they have to see the, you know, set up the structures to, to begin to learn the work. How much um, does competing initiatives come into play? Um, you know, um, one of the drilling strategies um, on the drilling cheat sheet is what I call tabling. It's where you're saying, so if this wasn't getting in the way, and if this wasn't getting in the way, and if this other thing we heard about wasn't getting in the way, would there be anything else still getting in the way? And so I'm going to do some tabling here and see what you all think. Mm -hmm. Sure. If, if lots of schools knew about the CPS model, um, if they were committed to helping their behaviorally challenging students, if they weren't scared of doing something different and thinking different, would there be anything else still getting in the way of schools implementing the CPS model? And, of course, I've just proposed a theory, which is not what you're supposed to do next, but I'll do it anyways, <laughs> um, competing initiatives. I've always felt that schools had more initiatives thrown at them than any other setting I've ever worked in. Um, I've always thought that schools were suffering from a bad case of what I call initiative fatigue, and this is one more thing that we got to change. How much does that come into play? It's huge. Mm -hmm. uh, I I'll, think very yeah, big. Go ahead, Nina. Would you agree? Oh, totally agree. Especially, I mean, this year is even that's even more apparent, I think, than any other year of how yeah. much. I mean, there's in, in the state of Maine, how many deadlines and different initiative changes that are happening. That teachers are the ones that are responsible to to make the, to even. Um, you know, collaborate together to make the change, and it's it's definitely overwhelming. Carol, any thoughts on that? 
No, I would agree. I mean, even uh, up here where we don't necessarily have the oversight and accountability demands, there's still, we've got new curriculum rolling out and we've got innovation um, initiatives and changes to the way that we uh, communicate student learning and uh, yeah, it's it's hard to maintain focus on something regardless of how strongly you believe in it because you're simply kind of flooded with, um, you know, workshops to go to and, and initiatives to, to work with your staff on developing capacity and assessment and planning and, yeah, it can, it can really muddy the waters and, you know, as tightly as you're kind of trying to steer the ship in, in a direction, there's, uh, let's call them currents and, and winds that'll push you off course. Um, it's it's really a, a complicated and complex um, organization in a school. Mm-hmm. And I would add to that, let's see if you all agree with this, schools, generally speaking, aren't being judged Schools aren't being assessed for their annual yearly progress, to put it in the terms of the of current times, on how they're dealing with their behaviorally challenging students. They're being no. <laughs> they're being judged. They're being rated on lots of other things. And I guess my sense has always been, um, yeah, it would be great if we could help the behaviorally challenging kids in their bu- in our building. We realize the stakes are high for them. We don't want to lose them, but we're not being judged as a school on how we do with them, and we really have to put our effort into the things that we are being rated on. What do you all think? It's one of the reasons that I'm glad I don't work in California anymore, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, I feel like we have a lot more um, freedom to to educate the whole child and to focus, I mean, uh, British Columbia has standards for social social and personal development and social responsibility. So the 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 weight that's given towards educating the whole child and, and attending to those social-emotional needs is a lot higher. Um, I feel very fortunate in that. And um, I, I really feel for... Well, I feel very proud of to know people like Tom and Nina who don't allow... That mindset of, well, we're only going to teach what's tested, um, I think you guys are doing an awesome job. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I feel and fortunate. Nina, what do you to, think, though? I feel fortunate to work in a district where, um, you know, the the pressures of the standardized tests are not as they are in other other places. So I think that even we really control that by, we talk about it, but we don't feel that pressure as as much and the whole child is definitely the focus but i think if you you know, reading the media and listening to the news i mean you, you definitely can start to put those pressures on you but we i feel very fortunate to, for where we are because we we don't you know that is not the primary focus for sure we we have had uh um some challenges with that because we worked really hard to figure out we looked at a lot of instructional information data as an organization and and I do think that there have been some very positive things that have happened but I am concerned about uh, the balance between teaching children how to read, write, and do math with creativity, the arts, socialization because I've, I've always said forever 
I mean, I'm a musician by trade before an educator. And I, I've always said to everyone, you know, look, the three things that children will need to know when they enter the world of work is, can I learn information independently? Can I read it and find it on the Internet because it's going to change so fast I need to be able to update myself? Can I work with others to solve problems because complex problems are going to require multiple minds to solve them, not just one brilliant person? Um, and then can I, can, I, can I work in a – so that would be the group work piece. And then the other piece is can I communicate effectively both spoken word and written word because in order to participate in the world of work, you have to be able to, to uh, um, share the information that you're learning so that you can get feedback and grow. So I, I just think that in, through those three lenses, I've been doing some, some graduate work myself and looking at the work of uh, uh, Tony Wagner. There's a great book called uh, Creating Innovators. And I think that initiative overkill is sapping the critical energy of teachers to be emotionally available for children so that they can attend to um, the, the needs that they have for creativity. So creativity comes from a space of, of relaxed comfort and challenge simultaneously. It's, kind of, it's not an oxymoron in the sense that you have a vision of what you want to be able to do, but you can be relaxed enough to be playful and get there. Mm-hmm. I don't think schools are doing a very good job of that right now on the whole. And it's something that I want to see change, and I've become very motivated and passionate about in the last few years. I came oh, across uh, an interesting article. It was more you know, a headline on Twitter that I skimmed the article, and I don't know, Ross, if you've come across this as well, but it was a recent study that correlated high numbers of suspensions to lower achievement for kids that weren't getting suspended. So the the high numbers of suspensions actually affected the well-behaved students in a negative way academically. And the theory was that there was tension and and stress and anxiety over dictatorial and no zero tolerance type policies in terms of things like dress code or or you know minor minor issues and infractions of a school's behavioral code um, that actually led the well-behaved kids to achieve less. Hmm. I, I, I have totally not come that. across that. I, I'd love to see it. Um, if you want to send me the link, I'll I'll post it on the good news bad news section of the Life in the Balance <laughs> website as well. I'll go back to my great. Twitter and come and find it for you. <laughs> I send you the book to Ross if you'd like to check it out. Oh, Tony Wagner's? Yeah. Funny story, Tony Wagner used to be my landlord. I used to live <laughs> I used to live underneath him in Cambridge, Massachusetts. For real? Uh, he was on the second floor, I was on the first floor, so I know Tony well. I mean, <laughs> maybe you can get to know people well when me. they live above you. What's that? Yeah. I'd like to meet him. Uh, he's a good guy. Hmm. I think we've taken care of that email. You guys ready for another one? Sure. Sure. All right. Um, Here's another. Hello. I'm reading Lost at School currently and taking a special topics class on EDBD students. I have been listening to your radio podcast to become more informed. My question is about a seven-year-old student who struggles with ED, LD, and impulsivity issues. He has trouble when work is challenging and with social skills when he's in a larger group. In our smaller group of three students, he bullies the most submissive child. As I tried to interview him using Plan B, his main concern for himself was that teachers are always telling him what to do. 
He feels like he's always being bossed around, getting what they want done and not what he wants done. So I'm using as much choice as I can when it comes to trying to have him complete work, and this seems to help. I do not know how to handle his bullying of the other child. His complaint about him is that he's looking at him too much. I've tried assuring him that the boy isn't looking at him and to try to ignore it, but it is a continuous problem. Any solutions? This is actually a bit of a brain teaser for people who use collaborative and proactive solutions because she's um, she's making a bit of a she, she's um, going she, she's starting with the empathy step of plan B which is great it's what's happening after that that may be why um, she's asking us for solutions and that we may not be able to give. But what are your thoughts on that? I, I was thinking, um, remember, I remember a couple of years ago, Ross, I went to one of your seminars, or, or was it the, the Lies in the Balance conference, and I walked away, think, made up the little saying, solve one or you solve none. Mm-hmm. And I think she's got to choose one and work on it. Um, there's yeah. a lot going on there. Uh, so I, I would say, you know, filling out the ALSEP, working through the specific situations and figuring out which one you want to tackle first. Right. Work and on what that problem to solve. And to really hone down your, you know, when, when you start the invitation and, and to what problem you're solving is going to really lead the discussion in a different way instead of looking at more at an interview, looking at it more as a plan B conversation where you have a very specific um problem and to focus on digging more to find out much more about what's going on. I think jump sounds like something that we all do is jumping jumping to our own solutions about ignoring and and different th- and forced choices and things are are something that we do but that doesn't sound like a solution that was worked out together. I like that idea. the 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 tone of meeting together would be collaborative, not um, what was the term, Nina? Was I think it's Nina a, or was did that? you say interview? It was Nina. <laughs> yeah, in, in interview. That that was. Yep. Yeah, the two of you have very similar sounding voices to me. So sorry. Yeah. If I, <laughs> um, but yes, I I think it coming to it w- with a lens of the problems in front of us, and we're standing side by side working on it. Yep. Instead of coming at it to get to get something from the conversation. Right, and trying to solve the problem of sounds like maybe I think we as adults definitely want to quickly solve a problem that involves another student, but that that will happen if it's if you're able to solve the problem of what's really happening, and then that you know it's sort of that's a side effect, you know what I mean? Sometimes, but I think we we definitely never want to see other children getting hurt feelings or upset. So that's you know sometimes a harder. You have to really make sure you're slowing down and solving the right problem. Yeah. Because we want, we quickly want to solve that because we don't want to see another student getting, you know, hurt feelings or whatever it may be. So we could modify Tom's phrase not only to solve one or you solve none, but also solve one quickly and you solve none. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Carol, any thoughts on this? 
Yeah, my thought was uh, kind of just going deeper in in the drilling. Like, if the student is saying, you know, that that you know, you're asking, I see you're having a hard time getting along with this other student, and what's up? And well, he's always looking at me. Okay, well, maybe you should try. You know, there's there's not much drilling happening there. Like, I would ask, you know, just there's more questions on the cheat sheet. Like, oh, tell me more about that, or I'm confused. Why would his looking at you? cause you to feel upset or or you know what is that what are you thinking when he's looking at you and just drilling a little deeper into what's behind that because that's uh that's a pretty common thing you mm-hmm. hear from students you know, they're looking at me they're giving they're staring at me they're giving me dirty looks but there's so much more um beneath that about whether it's what they're what they're assuming about the other person's intention or their own uh perception of of what's happening and um, there's there's a lot more drilling I think that can be done there. So um, just seem you know it's, if the person is is fairly new with using the model, then you know it's one of those things that you kind of refine as you go along. And I would encourage them to go back to the cheat sheet and do more drilling and use some of those probing questions to to get a little deeper. And my thought is um, we could uh, create a good well-worded, unsolved problem from what um, our emailer has written, I would put difficulty getting along with mm, Joey, let's say, um, during uh, social skills group, if that's what it's called, if that's what the smaller group is. And we already do have some information because she did do some of the empathy step of Plan B, uh, he's looking at her too much. He, he's looking uh, the, the other student is looking at him too much, assuming that the let's see, student is a he. Yep, that she's concerned about. Um, we know that uh, the student feels that teachers are just telling him what to do um, and not listening to his concerns. So that's some empathy step. But Carol, I agree with you totally. Um, there's more drilling to be done so we can get his concerns on the table. Um, The point I wanted to make is we adults often feel tremendous pressure to solve the problem for the kid, and not only for him, quickly, as you all are pointing out. Um, And here's the cool Mm -hmm. thing about Plan B. Uh, The pressure is not on you to solve the problem. The pressure is on the adult to facilitate the solving of the problem, with your partner, the kid. So um, uh, assuring him that the boy isn't looking at him is unlikely to be mutually satisfactory because the (laughs) student about whom she is concerned does think he is looking at him. And trying to ignore it is unlikely to be a mutually satisfactory solution. Almost never do I find that ignoring is going to be a good solution. So there's basically two steps missing. Um, The define adult concerns step, where the adult would be entering her concerns into consideration, probably about how the unsolved problem is affecting the student who she feels is being mistreated, and the invitation which is where we are putting the concerns of both parties back on the table so we can come up with a solution that addresses the concerns of both parties. So my solution is there is no solution yet. My only solution is we got two more steps to do, and then hopefully we'll have some solutions. 
Any further comments on that one before we move on to one more? Shall we move on to one more? Sure. Sure. Here we go. Um, I think this is from someone who works in a school, but it feels like a cry for help. So this Mm. is a poignant one. It starts with this child. the, The subject line is student with explosive behavior. This child is now in fifth grade and has had this same behavior from the beginning. Since his father has anger issues, his parents attribute his behavior to genetics. My principal is wanting to send him to a school for children with behaviors, but I am fighting this with all I know or can learn. This boy is brilliant. His parents won't have him evaluated because they don't want him to take medicine, and it breaks my heart to see him in pain. He has no idea why he acts the way he does and can go from happy to angry and back to calm in five to ten minutes unless an adult makes it worse for him. What can I do for him, and how can I reach his parents? How can I make the principal understand? I have finished the explosive child, but even if I developed Plan B, I don't have much support. Thank you for your time. I know it is valuable. Well, we've got 12 minutes left. We probably can't do this email justice in 12 minutes, but we can try. What do you all think? Well, the will is there. Yeah. You know, that person is, they've got the right lenses on. They are committed to this child, and they've got some knowledge. Um, I would really love to see them be able to connect with someone who maybe has some experience. It sounds like a really complex student, and without support, obviously, there's there's tons of um, progress that that person can just make with that child. But I think if they were able to to find someone to help coach them or to come and help model the you know work with them, work through the process with the student, um, that would be really helpful for them. Nina, Tom, uh, it just sounds like a wonderful advocate for a student, and that. You know, one person really can make a difference, even though it it feels must feel isolating. That one person being that much of an advocate can can change a child's life, even if it doesn't feel like that. I think sometimes the benefits might be later, but it's still the plan B and using CPS, even if it's one person, will just have lasting effects, even if you don't see it right away. I I was going to say um. This is way bigger than what we can do in this time. I agree, and but I just think it's important to remember. Remember, I learned early on that just doing the empathy step mm-hmm. is a huge thing for some kids to just feel heard. Yes. And sometimes when I feel overwhelmed by all the different things that are going on in the world and with education, or if my staff's feeling overwhelmed, I just remind them to keep it simple. If we can make the the six hours of the day that a highly at-risk child is is in the building, if we can make them positive in some way, it makes their life better. Um, And just listening sometimes makes a huge difference. Well, I'm going to be technical here, which I suppose is my nature. I love that... um, uh, I love that you all are pointing out what a great advocate this apparent teacher is for this kid. And yes... This is bigger than what we can do in uh, on a radio program, but I'm going to take it sentence by sentence, believe it or not. 
starting with sentence number one. The fact that the kid has had the same behavior from the beginning and is now in fifth grade and the behaviors are still there tells us that what we've done up until now hasn't worked. Nothing could be clearer. Mm-hmm. Sentence number two, since his father has anger issues, his parents attribute his behavior to genetics. I was taught something in graduate school that has served me extremely well over the last 25 or 26 years. Everything's 100% nature and 100% nurture. <laughs> his father's anger issues are 100% nature, 100% nurture, and the student's anger issues are 100% nature and 100% nurture. And what I find is that when we attribute something to genetics, which certainly play a role but certainly do not explain anything 100%, we basically tie our hands behind our backs because, let's face it, we can't do anything about genetics. Absolutely. Here's the next sentence. My principal is wanting to send him to a school for children with behaviors, but I am fighting this with all I know or can learn. Good for you for taking a stand and learning more. There are some kids who may need a different setting, but as you all have proven in your schools, there are many kids who people think need a different setting who don't need a different setting. They just need us to think, do things differently in the setting they're in now. Right. I was wondering what 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 does that school do differently that that this current school doesn't do. Like I know it's there. It can be really really tempting for parents, teachers, administrators to just take the child out of the setting and move the problem somewhere else. But what's 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 that going to do for the child? How does it help them if it's just the same thing in a different place? Well, and I think, too, if that ends up being the end result, which, like you're saying, sometimes that does happen, you need to, it's just thinking that way, when you start thinking that way too soon or you just close off any sort of solutions in the moment. It's it's just another example of it's genetics. Well, if your if you if your mindset is he doesn't belong there, even if one day he does need a different setting, it's it blocks you from making change and trying things differently because it's just that well, he doesn't belong here, so I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that that um it's a great point that that genetics are kind of a cop out for the lack of skill of the adults working with the child and it 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 uh the part that really scares me is that it tells the child that they can't do anything about it right because if people adults think that and they have those conversations privately oh it's just genetics well ho- hold on i mean i mean anything i've read for research and i'm not a research i don't sit around and read research some people are really into it um, although I do like to review it or have conversations about it or get a synopsis when I'm trying to make a decision. And a lot of the research around executive functioning issues shows that even with medication, if people learn new ha- behaviors and habits, that the medication can help them to learn the behaviors and habits and it can make a big difference for them. And some people don't even need the medication once they get the new behaviors and habits. Right. But the medication sometimes helps. And then sometimes people take medication and they, they take it for life, but... I, I, I just really, I, I've heard Ross say some great things about medication, and Ross, I can't remember exactly what you said, but 
I'm just always very careful about giving anyone the message that it's just genetics, that they're mm-hmm. helpless, because that's just a, 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 a point of view that I just can't subscribe to on a heart level. Well, and you've got a whole bunch of research backing you up. The whole field of epigenetics tells us that while an individual may be genetically predisposed to certain outcomes, uh, genetic predisposition doesn't guarantee that outcome, and it takes an environmental switch to turn it on, what a long time they called the diathesis stress model, where they basically said, yeah, there are people who are predisposed to, to schizophrenia or predisposed to depression, but it takes an environmental uh, trigger to throw the switch. And in the CPS model, here's how we put that. People exhibit challenging behavior when the demands being placed upon them outstrip the skills they have to respond adaptively to those demands. There's the sentence. Right. Um, this is a kid who is clearly uh, lacking the skills to handle the demands that are being placed upon him, and it's been that way for quite some time. Let me move on to one last sentence here before we run out of time. Um, What can I do for him, and how can I reach his parents? How can I help the principal understand? I have one suggestion, and it's called the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. I think a meeting in which parents, uh, folks at school, principal, are getting together to nail down the global lagging skills, that's sort of the big picture, and the specific unsolved problems. The lagging skills help us get the right lenses on and help us see the big picture on this kid. He's lacking skills. Whether he came by those lagging skills genetically or not is not a major part of the discussion because we can never answer that question with great precision. We just know he's lacking them. And what unsolved problems are being caused by those lagging skills? That tells us what we're going to be working on. Um, Medication is a solution. Sending him to a different school is a solution. Whether those solutions are going to help solve the problems that have been getting in this kid's way for a very long time, um, one can only wonder, but we won't know that until we identify his lagging skills and unsolved problems, prioritize which unsolved problems we're working on right now and which ones we're setting aside for now, and use the empathy step of plan B to figure out what's really getting in the kid's way. It's at that point that we start having a better feel for whether those solutions are going to get the job done. I've got nothing else to say about that. We've got about a minute and a half left. Any of you, Hall, have anything else to say about that? Feel free. I thought that was no, really concise. Perfect. The also is such a huge, a huge part of it. It's what brings people together. It's what gets people on the same page. And truth is, if I was to read between the lines of this email, um, here's my take-home message, that nobody's on the same page yet. We haven't yet really figured out with a sufficient level of clarity what's getting in this kid's way. 
Okay. Uh, that single-sided, single sheet of paper sure can go a long way. Mm-hmm. So, luckily, it's available for free in the paperwork section of the Lives in Balance website. So there it is. I hope they'll use it to help this kid and his parents and his teachers. Any final thoughts before we call it a day? Missed you guys. This was really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. We got one more in April. Uh, Excuse me, this is April. We got one more in May before we break for the summer. But, uh, of course, we'll be back next school year. Shall we call it a day for today? You bet. Sure. Sure. Let's let's call it a day for today. Thank you all for taking time out of your busy schedules to do this. I know for a fact from people all over the world that they really appreciate your wisdom and your guidance. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Welcome. Take care, all.